but burning weed with its roots in hell. The Outline World Dispatch. Thursday, April 20th, 2017. I'm Katie Drummond. Today on The Dispatch, Jeffy Haza on Shamir. Over the weekend, he released his latest record called Hope. Leah Finnegan on Old White Guys at the New York Times. Well, to be fair, I guess they're middle-aged. And John Lego Marcino on Computers and Choreography. This neural network is called Dance Dance Convolution. Here's The Dispatch. Culture. Over the weekend, 22-year-old singer-songwriter Shamir Bailey released his second album, Hope. The record arrived at a particularly fraught time for Bailey. Jeff Ihaza looked into what this means for Shamir and his future in the music industry. So Jeff, catch me up from the beginning. Who is Shamir and why is everyone talking about him all of a sudden right now? Um, So Shamir is a 22-year-old artist, singer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, originally from northern Las Vegas. He kind of started gathering buzz around 2014 when he was actually only 19 years old. He released um, an EP called North Town. And it was kind of this blend of like funky sort of dancey music that at least at the time wasn't really popular yet. I think right now, you know, there's obviously this big resurgence of house and dance music. But in 2014, he kind of put this really interesting spin on it. And the fact that he was so young and had this very, his very distinct voice. I'm sitting on the couch feeling alone. I don't feel right no one's home. And I think people really were struck by that early on, and he kind of like became this big buzz artist. Pitchfork raved about him. You know, he got a record deal with XL Recordings. And then he came out with an album in 2015 called Ratchet that was, you know, a huge success. He was on track to be this very big star. And then after the release of that album, he sort of disappeared. Where did he go? Um, So over the weekend, he released his latest record called Hope. And we kind of get to learn like what has happened since then. So apparently he's, you know, been dropped by the label or he parted ways with XL. I don't think he makes it terribly clear exactly what happened. He actually wrote on Facebook, quote, I was going to quit music this weekend. From day one, it was clear that I was an accidental pop star. I love the idea of it. I mean, who does it? Still, the wear of staying polished with how I'm presented and how my music was presented took a huge toll on me mentally, end quote. From the sound of it, it seems like there was big creative differences between how he wanted to kind of pursue being an artist and how the label and kind of the management and the kind of the people around him wanted to kind of package him as an artist. Sure. So it's kind of a classic tale. Something we've heard before. Sure. Sure. And and tell me about the new album. I mean, what what does it sound like compared to the old stuff? So it's a complete departure, really. I think, you know, he really leaves a lot of that dance, polish, all of that stuff behind. And it's really him, a guitar, and he calls it, you know, he says he uses a four-track recorder. So it's really bare bones. It has this very lo-fi sound. What do you think this album means for Shamir's career? I mean, where is he going after this? He parted ways with his label. This was an independent release. Is this the big breakout moment, or do you think he's headed in in maybe a less commercial direction? Well, I think that's what's really interesting about this and kind of what's going on in the broader landscape of music. You know, an artist like Shamir, he's already had his big break. He was a humongous star for a moment and really could have done whatever he wanted with that. 
Um, but I think him kind of separating and doing this on his own kind of shows where things might be headed. I think to be a big star in this new era of music, it's not just having 7 million views on YouTube or having Instagram photos with the most famous people or being in commercials. I think it really has something to do with, as he says in his little Facebook note, you know, it has to do with connecting on a more real level. And I think everything we might say about Gen Xers and millennials and this and that, I think cutting through a lot of the artifice of the music industry is, is the biggest way that artists can make it right now. Jeff, thanks. Thank you. Power. Last week, the New York Times announced it had hired a new op-ed columnist, Brett Stevens. He was formerly deputy editorial page editor at The Wall Street Journal and remains an anti-Trump conservative. Leah Finnegan writes a weekly column here at The Outline called The Leah Letter. Basically, it's a newsletter about how the media is bad. This week, she wrote about the Times' decision to hire Stephen, taking the position that political diversity is a cop-out. So, Leah, what is going on at The New York Times? A lot. But also, at the same time, nothing. Because it's kind of stuck in this old uh, white guy mentality that old white guys are really good for newspapers. And last week, a white guy, an old white guy at The New York Times hired another old white guy at The New York Times, right? Right. Well, to be fair, I guess they're middle-aged. Middle-aged. So what happened? So... The Times columnists are um, very special positions in that they're pretty much the most public faces of the paper. And the roster of columnists has typically been uh, limited to white men. Got it. Last week, they hired a new columnist, Brett Stevens, from the uh, Wall Street Journal. Okay. What's his deal? They hired him and said that he was a new interesting voice for the paper because he was against Trump, which most all of the Times columnists are. Now, when the New York Times hired Stevens, they actually said when they sort of announced and explained the rationale that that he was a diverse hire. He's a middle-aged white man from Mm -hmm. the Wall Street Journal. Mm -hmm. What were they talking about? Okay, so it has to do with like the paper and its obsession with objectivity and getting both sides of a story, which I think is like total bullshit um, because there are truths and there are facts, but sometimes one side is wrong. And the conservative viewpoint that Stevens brings to the paper is often just factually wrong. Like he says, you know, climate change isn't real. He says, Racism is overblown. Sexism is overblown. Like uh, one person tweeted at me that he was a gaslighter. And I was like, oh, yeah, that 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 is gaslighting. Like he tells in one column, he was like, campus rape isn't real. Like, wow, women still go to to co-ed colleges. Like if the rape problem wasn't real, why would they go there? And it's like, oh, okay, dude, like. There are things that are happening now that make you angry because they take away from your stance in the world. Right. Well, God forbid he lose his prominent place as a a great American thinker. Where he's right all the time and nothing is wrong with the world except uh, Muslim extremism. 
which is his main thing. He is like, everything goes back to those barbarians in the Middle East. He used that word, barbarian. What What is the larger issue here, you know, in terms of, let's say the New York Times had one open slot to hire one columnist, and, right. and they picked this guy of all people. Like, Right. This guy is a safe pick for them. He will write columns that will probably anger some of their audience, but not really bring in new readers. He's not an interesting thinker, but he serves to confirm what readers already know. There are only two women columnists, uh, Gail Collins and Maureen Dowd. Okay. It's just very, very weird that in 2017, they're not even uh, trying to bring in more women, more people of color. Right. It seems very backwards. When there are obviously qualified candidates. Leah, thanks. Thank you. The future. Dance Dance Revolution, the music video game series, is massively popular. Over its nearly 20-year history, hundreds of songs have been officially included in the game as step charts, the sequences of instructions about when and where to put your feet on the dance platform. But there's also this open-source DDR clone called Step Mania, which allows fans to make and share their own step charts. Choreographing these charts can be tedious and slow, since it involves manually placing steps throughout a song, one at a time. That's why three researchers at the University of California, San Diego, are building a neural network that automatically makes DDR-style step charts from raw audio recordings. In a paper released last month, the research team describes why their approach, which they call Dance Dance Convolution, is a faster and more flexible way to make new step charts. The process began with researcher Chris Donahue. He's a longtime DDR fan. Yeah, I used to play the game a lot uh, growing up. I put countless amounts of hours into it as a teenager. It's kind of strange and bizarre that it's become part of my PhD research at this point. Chris was trying to solve one of the big problems in music research. It's notoriously difficult to obtain large samples of music with metadata about things like beat and tempo. But it occurred to him that Step Mania packs already contain tons of this kind of data. I had somewhere very deep in my hard drive gigabytes and gigabytes of data from the team Step Mania from a folder I'd been transferring from computer to computer, you know, since I was a teenager. And I just had this idea to use that uh, for tempo detection. And I was playing with that for a while, but then it sort of eventually occurred to me that a much more interesting and novel problem might actually to be to just try to recreate the game rather than just simply use the data as just sort of a convenient source. And that's essentially what Dance Dance Convolution does. First, it determines step placement. So that's points in time where there should be a step. Second, step selection determines which steps to place. So like left, right, up, down, etc. The results are really encouraging, and the generated charts are genuinely playable. The team released a video comparing a human-made chart to a generated one of the same track. They differ, for sure, but you can see that Chris, who was dancing to each chart, has a similar success rate at performing each one. So Dance Dance Convolution is producing charts that are about as playable as human choreographed ones. This could be great news for people who like these games. For experienced players who may get bored playing over and over to the same tracks, the Dance Dance Convolution system could be a new way to change things up. Even uh, even if you have sort of human-labeled step placements in time, you can use this technique to generate an infinite number of choreographies 
and uh, sort of continue to play the game where, you know, otherwise you might get bored of the same chart over and over again. But players could also theoretically feed the system any song from their own music collection and be able to play it in Step Mania. There's no plan for any commercial release of this, but there is a working demo of the tool on the UCSD website. That concludes The Dispatch. Have an awesome weekend. I'm Katie Drummond. Till Monday. Eight, two, eight, four, sounds.